mindset. It's how we see life, people, events, and in some cases, it can even dictate how people see you. The High Frequency Mindset Podcast will help you raise your consciousness and see things in a new light and create new pathways to living better. Host Sally Wagner is a coach and entrepreneur, and she has some answers for you, as well as some soul-searching questions for her guests that will definitely raise your vibe. Here's Sally. Hi, it's Sally Wagner. Welcome to the High Frequency Mindset Podcast. I'm happy you've joined us today, and I'm very happy to introduce you to our guest, MJ Ross, uh, Mary Jo. And do you prefer MJ or Mary Jo? Well, legally, my name's Mary Jo, but I'd say 90% of the people I know call me MJ. Okay. And it also fits in with my business name, which is MJ Executive Consulting. Exactly. And, and I mean, that's how you, I've referred to you since you and I met. Mm-hmm. So I just Hi. wanted to clarify. And now I'm very happy to tell everyone a bit about you. So MJ believes that every female small business owner should be in control of their business and not the other way around. These experienced entrepreneurs must break the cycle of their business, owning them and win back their lives. MJ is on a mission to make that a reality for each and every person. MJ knows all too well the realities faced by today's small business owner. She herself was the executive director for six different state professional associations for 14 years and owner of an association management company for 10 years at the same time. MJ realized that she had been worn down by traveling 26 weekends a year for years on end. There was no end to the cycle. Her business owned her. To stop or even slow down meant a literal end to her livelihood. Her business had become a lifetime sentence, no chance for parole. And I, I think you state that so eloquently that so many of us feel that our businesses own us, right? <laughs> and, right? And we're never off. We're always on. And we're now in the age of these devices. We're attached to our devices and, and we find it so difficult to unplug. So please share with us, how did you do that? How did you gain back control of your own life? Well, I would say it started um, in the nonprofit world. I was in the nonprofit world for, oh, 20 or so years. I started as a volunteer, and then I uh, got my first executive director position. It was a brand-new halftime position, and um, I remember the, the first meeting was held at the Jinx Aquarium in the Shark Tank, and we had seafood. That was the first meeting I was responsible for. <laughs> I'll never, never live that one down. But uh, we had a guest speaker in from California, and he talked about, oh, there's three key areas about this. And I remember taking notes because I didn't have a clue. So that's where it all began. Yeah. Um, I learned pretty quickly. Uh, I had a great president who kind of let me make it up as I went along. And so I grew the society from you know, very small to much larger. It kept growing. Our conferences and meetings got bigger and bigger. And uh, just everybody got more active. Mm-hmm. And the first time I uh, spoke at a national meeting with, it was presidents of other societies as well as other executive directors, was about nine months in. And so after that, they kind of kept me on their radar yeah. In addition to what I was doing, and I kept growing and growing and went full time. Um, but I was getting these requests 
from other societies to see if I could manage them or work with them part-time and that kind of thing. Um, so I did that a couple of times with a couple of them and then ended up going into business for myself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and at what point did you have that feeling that you expressed in, in the bio that I read uh, that, it, you know, maybe the business was owning you rather than you owning the business. And, and how did that realization come to you? Well, I thought I was superwoman. <laughs> or I pretended well. <laughs> yeah. And at one point, um, I looked at my calendar because I was just exhausted, worn out, uh, and figured out I was traveling 26 weekends a year. And I did it three years in a row. Yeah. And so by that time, you know, I was working with six boards of directors, six societies, I had four staff, and I had never thought about what would happen with my business? I guess I thought I'd just do it till I dropped. Yeah. But I never had that. And I'd never had a business plan in my business class in my life mm-hmm. when I did all this. And so that, that year when I realized all that, um, I was pretty much burnt to a crisp. My mm-hmm. clients weren't getting the best out of me and my staff weren't doing well because I was cranky and didn't care and, you know, all that good stuff. And so, I made one of the biggest decisions I've ever made, and it was very painful to do so. Um, I closed the business. I really wanted to sell it, but it was too dependent on me. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have an exit plan. And so I did that. And then um, I didn't want to leave my clients in the lurch. And so I reached out to another association management company out of Maryland, and I helped them create an oncology division where they manage multiple societies now. And so got to be part of that. And while I was recovering and trying to figure out who I was, because my identity was my work, my job. It had been that way forever. Single mom, I worked to support us, and that's what I did. I didn't have fun. I didn't do other things. And so I did that. I thought also I needed to learn about some of those business things that I didn't know in the first place. So I went back and uh, I got trained to be a small business transformation coach. Mm-hmm. So I learned all about different aspects of business and all that. And um, it's not really what I wanted to do, but I had the education. But I decided I still did decide who I was when I wanted to be when I grew up. And I decided I wanted to be who I needed probably eight or nine years ago because there was a point in time when I wanted to pivot with my business. And I don't know if I was just not aware that there were mentors or um, consultants or coaches out there, or if it was my pride and my ego saying, oh, no, I'm superwoman. Can't let anybody know I need help. Yeah. Maybe a combination of that. And uh, so instead of pivoting and working to a different end and taking the pressure off, moving somebody up or doing something like that, I ended up taking on a whole brand new national nonprofit and helped that get started. Mm-hmm. And so that was on top of my six societies. And so after two and a half years of that, that it's kind of put me over the edge. Right. But so I want to be there for women who've been in business and been really busy, you know, starting up and running their business and growing it, but may not have had 
the chance or the opportunity to sit down and say, oh, I want to retire in 2050 or Mm -hmm. 2025 and I want to sell the business. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I want to pass it on to a family member or key employee or, you know, maybe just travel and let the paychecks be deposited every month while somebody else is managing. Sure. So you help people come up with that strategy to exit in in whatever form that exit takes, right? Right. Yeah. And and so um, we do that, and then you can go back and say, okay, well, I want this in this year. Let's go back and see what I have to do to achieve it. Mm -hmm. And then build that in, the goals and objectives, you know, part of the strategy. Right. So you kind of reverse engineer uh, the goal mm-hmm. and, and right. put the plan into place now to get them there. Right. Yeah. Awesome. And then along the way, we also do things like emergency planning. Because what I found is when I talk to small business owners and I ask them, what would happen to your business if something happened to you tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Um, it's very rare that somebody said, oh, I've got it covered. Yeah. And so because you need to think about things like that. And I didn't, you know, who has, if you have a password manager, who has access to that password in emergency? Right. Where are all your files? Where are your contracts? Your equipment? Who has the keys? Who has passcodes? Yeah. And, um, you know, where are your formation paperwork? Do you have QuickBooks desktop, QuickBooks online? Who has access to those accounts? Okay. And is there someone else on your bank accounts that can fill in and do payroll or do whatever in an emergency. Yeah, all very important and and things that we tend not to think about, uh, you know, as small business owners or or if we think about it, it's kind of those, well, I'll think about that later, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so you uh, help people with those vital things that we do need to think about and take action on, right? That's the key. Don't Correct. just think about it, but take action on it. And don't put it off. Don't wait until it happens. Figure it out ahead of time. Right. And so um, I'm doing a workshop that covers basic, it's just the basics about, you know, emergency, exit, and succession planning. Mm -hmm. And I've done it before. And the feedback I got was, we'd love to have this list of all these points that I talk about. But the different attendees decided that, well, I would just do a few of them and then it'd get buried somewhere. Yes. And so they asked me to start a mastermind, just a short term 90 day mastermind Mm -hmm. to help small business owners prepare for emergencies. Yeah. And so I'm taking applications for that. Awesome. So we can share that information in the show notes, right? Yes. Okay, perfect. Um, I I also want to pivot a little bit and ask you about this, because I I know that there's other work that you do aside from this, Mm -hmm. and it has to do with education about human trafficking, sex trafficking, abuse, those Mm -hmm. those types of issues. And could you share a little bit about that? Sure. I'm a volunteer with the Demand Project, and it's based in Tulsa, but basically um, we've got connections and resources all over the country. And I met somebody, uh, one of the people who works there through LinkedIn and something kind of clicked because I grew up, there was a lot of sexual abuse and other abuse that I went through. And I went through a lot of recovery time with therapy and groups and all that. And it really dealt with a lot of that. But then there were some things that just didn't fit in. 
Right. And so if something clicked and kind of shook up my world, because things made sense, and then I was able, it took me a little while to process and go through the grieving and everything I needed to, um, to work through those things once I had a name for it. And I'm part of the 40% of children who are sexually trafficked are done so by relatives or close friends. And so I had four members of my family who used me and my body to get reward or, you know, get favors, drugs and alcohol and other things. And so I just know as a child, I couldn't tell anybody. Nobody protected me. And it's so horrendous. It's so awful. You don't want to tell about it. And you don't, there's so much shame. Right. And you believe when you're a kid that, yes, I deserved it. I asked for it. I wanted it. And it wasn't until I had kids of my own that I realized there's no way a little baby could have asked for that kind of stuff or a five-year-old or, you know, all the different ages. And so that really helped me put it in perspective. Mm-hmm. But so what is, is just really important to me that those being abused have a voice. And because of the sex trafficking, it wasn't commercial. It wasn't out in a hotel room or anything like that or on the streets. Um, there aren't many places to get help for them. And the Demand Project has um, a 60-bed safe house, which is the largest in the country. And it has nine cabins that have been donated and everything Um and that's something that means a lot to me because there's a wraparound services. It's for girls 11 to 17 and they're brought in by um, law enforcement who have rescued them. And they're usually in a two year journey program where all these services are provided and therapy and all that. And uh, I don't know, that's really important. Yeah. And so right now I am helping um, volunteer to raise money at a gala which is coming up on April 2nd. And that will help fund some of the kids at that, at that facility. But I also, as part of what I do is I volunteer and I do every Tuesday on my personal LinkedIn and on my professional um, Facebook page, I post facts. And I always do it with an orange background. I want to catch attention. Um, there's things that make people uncomfortable. And that's okay mm-hmm. because that may plant some seeds. Yes. And yes. this can't be stopped if nobody talks about it or acknowledges it. Exactly. Yeah. It's, and I, I think, uh, you know, when you start learning some of those facts and the statistics, uh, it, it is horrific. It is horrifying. And yet we can't pretend it's not there. Because as you said, if we don't know about it, how can we do anything about it? I think a lot of people, you know, it's head in the sand because if they acknowledge that it happens, then they might have to do something. Yes, exactly. And it's it's even worse now because my abuse happened before Al Gore invented the Internet. (laughs) And so (laughs) I really concerned for kids now who with their cell phones, there's so many apps and hidden apps and and even gaming, there's all these people out there from all over the world mm-hmm. enticing our kids, getting them to send pictures, 
And I don't think kids know or teenagers know that, you know, if they take a selfie of themselves naked or partly naked or whatever and send it, that's child porn. Yes. And once it's out there on the Internet, it can be anywhere. Yes. And and those things don't go away. Right. No, they don't. They go for years and years. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think you're right. You know, with the ease of communication, it's probably uh, much, much easier in that regard and, and perhaps more prevalent. And um, I am volunteering with a local group uh, that supports survivors of sex trafficking. And um, yeah, that's how a lot of them get into it because of online luring perhaps and connections and then they're encouraged to invite friends hey email your friend text your friend ask that person to you know and so it just it just kind of uh it spreads in that way what was interesting was one time after i had started my posting i got an email that would be perfectly in the line of what a sex trafficker would email it was a blackmail email Saying, unbeknownst to you, I've had control of your camera on your phone and your laptop and everything. And so I have videos. And if you don't pay me a certain amount of money by this time, I'm going to spread them. Yeah. And share them with everybody, you know. And uh, I knew better, but also said, do not go to the police. Of course. And just, you know, kind of went along those lines. And so I knew it wasn't true because there's no way. Yeah. And any of that, but, um, I did call, I called the demand project and I also called lo- local law enforcement. And so they sent an officer out who, to review it because mm-hmm. I wanted them to see what it was like. I didn't want to forward it or pass sure. it on, but so, yeah, but I thought that was interesting right out. But then that gave me something else to work or talk about the next week. Thanks for the blackmail email. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and here's another thing to watch for. <laughs> right. Yeah. But if I was a kid and I got that and I'd been doing anything, it would have scared me to death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think uh, the, the more people know and understand about it, uh, the, the more vigilant we can be. And to understand that, you know, the, the children... Uh, who get into this life are typically uh, sexually abused at a young age. And then that, that changes everything about them, you know? Um, and, and they're more susceptible then to the lure of others who are preying upon them. Um, Kristen Weiss, which is the co-founder of the demand project, puts it in this way. She says, trauma comes first before trafficking. Because it creates vulnerability. Absolutely. And yeah, kids are vulnerable. Yeah. And as you mentioned, the shame, you know, the, right. the, the people who have been traumatized in that way feel a great deal of shame, you know, as opposed to guilt. Guilt is, oh, I did something wrong. Uh, I did something bad. Shame is I am bad. And so they internalize what happened. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then they're susceptible. They're vulnerable to it. Very vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a great service that you're doing in everything you do, um, you know, well, thank to, you. to help businesses with succession planning, exit strategies, and to uh, help build awareness of this type of thing uh, so that we can all be vigilant and protect 
uh, those people who are not able to protect themselves. All right, thank you. And I do want to say with the demand project, it's not just about the kids. There's also resources for adults, men and women. Yeah. So support is provided. Yeah. And, and that's an important thing. You said men. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we, we frequently think it's uh, women and girls, and that's not always the case, right? There no, it's not. The boys and men who uh, have experienced this sort of thing. Yeah. And I think it's less acceptable for them to come out and say things. Of course, yeah. It's, it's that stigma um, of, you know, all kinds of things. I mean, it's hard mm-hmm. enough for a, a woman or a girl to uh, admit and and talk to people about this. And then when you add on the other stigmata, perhaps, uh, that we mm-hmm. have about men and boys, um, yeah, it makes it very difficult for people. Well, and one thing I've noticed through the years, because I've been in a lot of groups, done a lot of things, is that... Um, a lot of times people either don't remember when it happened, it was so traumatizing, or they do everything they can to bury it. Yes. And I've seen it passed on because I know it's gone on for generations for, mm-hmm. for forever. But I've noticed if somebody was abused and they didn't talk about it or deal with it, then they're more likely it could be they could carry it on, pass it on, or it's easier for them to look the other way when it's happening within their family. Exactly. But I I fought really hard because I had two small children and my kids were not going to be through any of what I went through. And so that kept me going through all the ugliness and all the pain. But yes. yeah. Yeah. Some, sometimes, uh, it, you know, our, our bravery comes out when we're doing it on behalf of somebody else and we see mm-hmm. how vulnerable they are. Yeah. So uh, one couple more questions to ask you. First okay. is in, in my coaching, I, I talk about a lot of concepts. Uh, I use the acronym MSG, Mindset, Skillset, Get Off Your Asset, uh, okay. because I think that encapsulates a lot of very important coaching concepts. Is there something, some overarching principle that you could identify as you look at your life and your businesses at, at, that you would say has contributed to your success? I would say um, because I had jobs that I was miserable out and all that. um, Once I found something I had a passion for Mm -hmm. and I loved what I did and I love what I'm doing now. And it just makes such a difference. It's fun to get up in the morning. I look forward to it. And so I think it's important to find your passion. Yes. I, I absolutely agree. Uh, for people who can kind of see what's behind me on my virtual background, you may see part of a quote uh, it says, live the life that makes you come alive. And that's from a quote from Howard Thurman, who was a mentor to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And he said, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. And I think that's what you just said, you know, your passion. When you have uh-huh. your passion, you, you want to get right. up in the morning. You're eager to see what the day is going to bring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how can people get in touch with you? And this will be in the show notes, but just, uh, you know, let people how, know how they can contact you. Okay. They can look for MJ Ross at LinkedIn. Um, 
My website is mjexeconsulting.com for MJ Executive Consulting. Or they can reach me at mjross at mjexeconsulting.com. Um, or my phone number, 918-261-8951. Um, I will not answer if I don't know who's calling, so texting is preferable. Yes, <laughs> I, I'm the same way. I, I prefer texts. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I certainly enjoyed our our phone our, our conversation, and I will look forward to being in contact with you again. I hope. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Thank you, and thank you everybody for joining us. Make sure you tune in next time for High Frequency Mindset Podcast. <laughs>